0: Our featured BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders for this episode are African Wildlife Foundation, Boot Campaign, Hadassah, the Women's Zionist Organization of America. To find out more about these and other BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders, go to give.org.
1: You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate, and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode.
0: Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor, your host. Today, we're going to speak with Amy Gilbreth. Amy is the president of PetSmart Charities. And we're going to speak with her about the work that PetSmart is doing to support people who want to give and support animal causes and the amazing life that she's led that kind of led her to this role. We also want to talk about the method that PetSmart is using to gather together many, many more numbers of people who may have dropped out of giving. We're getting people now through this approach that they're using to philanthropy to get many more people contributing. And as you know, from listening to previous podcasts, I've been harping on this notion that we're seeing a decline in the number of families giving to organizations. And we don't know what all of the reasons are for that. But if you were to go back in time, we used to have certain engines that gathered together lots of small donations, maybe in the workplace or institutions like the Combined Federal Campaign, where federal workers would give. More people attended services at their house of worship where they could give every week because they were asked and we're not seeing that we have the same kind of robust engines that we used to have that gathered together large numbers of small donations. Well, PetSmart has a interesting approach to that that we're going to talk about. And I think you'll find it quite compelling. I know some of you probably have already experienced it, but we're going to get into that. We're going to get into Amy's life, which is... I always like to talk about our guests' lives and what led them to do the work that they're doing, because maybe in their life, you'll see yourself if you're someone sitting on the fence and haven't figured out how to contribute in the way you would like to give back to society. So we want you to know and hear from others who have found their sort of uh, passion for giving and supporting society and the work that they're doing. And maybe you can emulate that in some way. So, Amy, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, Amy, let's let's get right into it. I mean, I think we have in you someone who found her way to philanthropy. And I would love to hear you tell us your story that led you to the work that you're doing now.
2: I'm happy to share how I got into nonprofit, and it's actually not something that I ever thought would be my career path. I loved animals growing up, but I didn't see an option to make that a career outside of veterinary medicine, which turned out to not be a a good choice for me. And I eventually went to business school and was working for a consulting firm, and so I was very much in the for-profit, corporate type of space, but I didn't have a pet, and I'd always had a pet, so I started volunteering for a rescue group. And that exposed me to the issues in sheltering and in animal welfare. But it also was a really unpleasant experience. The group wasn't very well run, and I actually stopped volunteering for them. And I went and started volunteering for a health and human services organization that um, helped folks coming out of prison or coming out of homelessness get jobs. And so I was a mock interviewer, and I would help people write their resumes. And the executive director of that organization sat me down and said, I don't have a lot of volunteers like you. Have you ever considered making nonprofit or philanthropy, a career. And I hadn't. But that conversation with him and he became a mentor got my wheels turning. And so a couple years later, when I was really tired of the very brutal travel that went with my consulting job, I started looking for a new job. And I just serendipity stumbled across an executive search listing for a gentleman in Los Angeles who was a billionaire who wanted to start his own private foundation. And it was in the animal welfare space. And he wanted someone who could help run his foundation like a business. And so my profile was perfect. And so I still have distinct memories of being in my car in the L.A. commute and calling the recruiter and saying, I don't have any nonprofit background, but I'm excited about this job listing do you think I should apply? And her saying, yes, you should apply. Your, your background sounds perfect for what this person is looking for. And then having that realization that sometimes we do where I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't updated my resume in years. So I had to go home that weekend and crash course, update my resume and submit it. And, and then I, I got that job and started in 2008. And so now I've been in in nonprofit since then and I have loved it. It has been the most rewarding and fulfilling work of my career. I did not realize how unsatisfied I was at some very basic soul level in my previous career until I got into this career. And now I I wouldn't go back. I can't imagine doing anything else.
0: Well, two things. First, we've heard that story from others in the corporate sector who sort of stumbled upon careers in nonprofit. I'm one myself. And you get in and you find that the level of responsibilities that you have, the fulfillment, knowing that your work is having an impact on people and communities really is appealing. The question I do have for you, though, so you said you were volunteering when you came across the idea that nonprofit might be a good career for you. What got you volunteering?
2: Initially, what got me volunteering was a love of animals and not having one in my life. And so seeing that as a way to access them. But then seeing that group be ineffective and feeling like, and I guess I have my parents to thank for this, I have experienced a lot of privilege and, and a, a good life and feeling an obligation to pay it forward and to give back. And so it's something I wanted to do in my time. I wanted to contribute to my community. I wanted to help. And that was the, the way that I found to do it.
0: Now, there are lots of people who love animals in this country. And my animal of choice, if you would, are fish. I have a little koi pond in my backyard. And so my fish are my pets, you know, and I've gone to PetSmart at different times and added to my acquisition, you know, <laughs> added to my pond. And I have to tell you, you know, you get really attached. You, know, you get very attached to them and they become in many ways family members and and you wanna care for them just like you care for other sentient things in your life. So I get it. I get how people are drawn to them. I guess, though, I'm wondering, but to make a career out of it, to, to say that this is what I want to do from a career standpoint. I want to support animals. And you mentioned you could have thought about being a, a veterinarian, but that wasn't necessarily in the cards for you. But you chose animals. And I, I do have to ask because I have another woman in my, at work who, who really loves cats. And um, she started an organization to help people who want to spay their cats so that, you know, they can live better lives and we can live better with cats. These are feral cats. But she she loves what she does and she loves the feeling that she gets from helping these animals and helping their owners and making sure that some of these animals can find new owners at different times. It's just a wonderful thing to see this happening. What was it for you that said animals? Maybe you had them when you were growing up. I don't know. But I, I don't know if it's something unique about people who work supporting animals or if it's just part of our human orientation to help things in general. I'm just curious what you think about that.
2: Really great question. You know, I can only speak for myself and some of my colleagues and people I see. I do think that there are folks who are genuinely interested in helping animals, like some people are genuinely interested in helping children because they are voiceless. They cannot advocate for themselves. So I do think that that is some of the appeal for some people. I would say for me, I had animals growing up and I had the experience of how they enriched my life. And so when I think about the way we help animals at PetSmart Charities, it's about helping animals as a member of the human family. And it's about the human-animal bond. And I knew this intuitively even as a kid. And now we have all the research to validate how wonderful pets are for our physical and emotional and mental well-being. And something like 70% of U.S. households have pets. So the human-animal bond is something that is widespread. And one of the things that we see and one of the reasons we do the work that we do is that sometimes people who have the least in a way benefit the most from having a pet. As an example, many seniors in the U.S. live alone. And so if they have a pet, that pet is sometimes the only consistent source of love and companionship in their life. And we now have the research to show that for seniors who have a pet, they suffer from less loneliness, which is a huge epidemic among seniors. They are ambulatory longer because they get out and walk their dog. You know, they have more social connections because regardless of your gender, your economic status, who you voted for, for president, you know, you want to talk to the other person's pet and you want to see photos on the phone. So it's about the role that animals play in families, in lives and in communities. And it's just as much about the people as the pets.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. So, So how did this love of animals lead you to PetSmart's charities?
2: Well, I was already working at an animal welfare nonprofit in Los Angeles, and I had done that for 12 and a half years, and I loved it. And then the pandemic started, and I also had a toddler, and Los Angeles was just not nearly as much fun. And I had actually been recruited for this role one time previously when I wasn't ready to move to LA yet, but Phoenix is my hometown. It's where we're based. The board had a very compelling story about the direction that they wanted to take PetSmart Charity. So we're the charity, PetSmart's the retailer. We're connected, but we're a separate entity. And so the thought of getting to move to a national organization with the scale and scope that PetSmart Charities has was very appealing from an impact perspective. And then at a personal level, I got to move home to Phoenix, where my now four-year-old son gets to spend a ton of time with his grandparents. So it worked for me on a few dimensions. I've been here two and a half years now and I, I love my role. I love my job. I love what we're able to do. I'm very excited about our future. So while at the time, some people thought it was crazy to uproot your life and move early pandemic. And that was weird. <laughs> it was an adjustment. It It's worked out brilliantly.
0: Well, you mentioned something really fascinating. 75% of families have a pet. 75%.
2: It's about 70%, depending on which data you look at. Yeah. Pet ownership is widespread.
0: Okay. So then the thought is, now, if I put my donating hat on, I know that one of the biggest sources of support for PetSmart charities are individuals who contribute, right? So how does that work? Explain that whole business to me.
2: So the vast majority of our donations come from average, everyday pet parents who are shopping at PetSmart retail stores. There are about 1,500 in the US and 150 in Canada. And for every transaction that goes through the pin pad, PetSmart has made the decision as part of their corporate philanthropy to serve this option to have the customer donate the customer's money. And it pops up and says, would you like to give? And the options are $1, $2, $5, $10 on the pin pad. And that gets served with every transaction. So people decide that they want to give. And our average gift is really quite small. It's a couple bucks. But because that donation opportunity is served up during millions of transactions, when you aggregate that very small average gift across millions of transactions, it allows us to be in the position to give 40 to 50 million dollars of grants every year.
0: Unbelievable. How many people who come through the stores actually check the option to give? Are there any, Is there any data you can share about that?
2: There is. It's really, it's not as many as you might think. It's call it one in five to one in six, choose to donate. And it's higher during the holiday season when people are in the giving mood. And then we do have some customers who donate in store who then go on to become monthly givers or who leave money in their will and estate. Um, And then what's a little bit tricky and maybe deceptive about that one in five, one in six number is that not, Every customer who donates donates every trip. So it it fluctuates a little bit. And there are some people who maybe donate every third time. And there are some people who donate every time. And and yeah.
0: No, I'm more interested in, frankly, how many people actually give at least once. Because to me, that's that's just as important from a participation standpoint.
2: And so I would say that in the if we if you look at sort of PetSmart's most frequent customers. Amongst that group, it's more like 40% give at least once a year.
0: That's that's impressive. So I know you have probably millions of transactions, probably hundreds of thousands, if not more, (laughs) you know, regular customers. That's impressive because we need to find ways for people to give conveniently, right? This is a way for people to donate to something they care about conveniently. And what's so attractive about this is you're able to appeal to people who already have a predisposition for the cause that you're standing for. Right? You're coming to the store. Obviously, you come in there to support an animal, to help an animal. You know, you need something for your pet. OK, now why not give to support pets in general? Just a few dollars and. So it's brilliant in in how you thought about executing that. And it's nice to see that people are, in fact, taking advantage of that.
2: We are incredibly grateful to PetSmart for making that opportunity available to us. And it really is a simple message on the pin pad that says, will you donate to help pets in need? And for the shoppers who are shopping for their own pets and who at some very intuitive level understand what their pet brings to their life, they are very willing to give a couple bucks to help other pets.
0: Yeah. So when you get this money, what are some of the programs that you're executing to support animals?
2: We are probably best known at PetSmart Charities for our in-store adoption program. And this is another collaboration with PetSmart where they, as a retailer, donate space in almost every single one of their stores for adoption groups, be that a shelter or a rescue group, to bring in animals for adoption. And there are cat centers in many of the stores where the cats can actually live there until they get adopted. Dogs can come in evenings, weekends, whenever a group can bring them. So what PetSmart is doing is providing space and access to that traffic of interested pet parents to help homeless pets find homes. And that program has been around for going on 30 years. It was revolutionary at the time it was launched. Last year, we celebrated our 10 millionth adoption facilitated through that program. So that's probably what we're best known for. One of the amazing things that's happened um, in time over animal welfare, and PetSmart Charities last year crossed $500 million in grants, so half a billion dollars in grant making. And over time, less and less animals are entering shelters and needing help in shelters. So we have been able to start shifting our focus to supporting pets who are at risk, largely because they live with an under-resourced family. So we have a whole other part of our portfolio we're working to make veterinary care, more accessible and affordable. We're working to fight pet hunger because what people don't think about is that when a family is food insecure, they're probably also struggling to feed their pet. So we have a huge partnership with Meals on Wheels America, with Feeding America. We're trying to make sure that pet food is available in those human food support systems so that the whole family can can be fed. And then disaster response. You know, you don't necessarily think about this, but when someone has to evacuate, from a hurricane or from a wildfire, the pet is part of their family. They need to bring their pet with them. But there are challenges with that. Not all shelters accept pets. Not all hotels accept pets. Transportation is more challenging with pets. So we give disaster response grants to local organizations who are first responders. And we also have a huge partnership with the American Red Cross, where we are working with them to integrate pets as members of the family in all of their systems and processes. So that's the part that we're probably less well known for, is once the pet has a home, we'd like them to be able to stay in that home, even if that family has some hard times.
0: These are wonderful partnerships with great institutions. I don't know if you've ever heard of an organization called Red Rover. They're on the West Coast, but um, maybe you have. But let me just tell you the quick story that just blew my mind about this organization and, and what they're doing with pets. I had a conversation some years ago with a gentleman who was on the board of Red Rover, which is this animal welfare organization. And he said, you know, collaboration is so important. We were talking about the whole idea of collaboration. Obviously you see the importance of collaboration because you've reached out to all these other organizations you're working with. But he said, you know, we found that collaboration was so important because it actually created a way for us to serve a whole new demographic. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we were doing some ideation and we found out that a high percentage of women in battered shelters, or let's go back a higher percentage of women who have been battered will refuse to leave their abuser because of the pet in the home. In other words, they're worried about what will happen to the pet if they leave to go for help, right? And so they said, we found out about this and began approaching battered women's shelters. And lo and behold, found that we could take some of the pets so that the women could go and get help. And so there are women out there now who have been completely saved, maybe live saved. Because of this collaboration with this animal welfare organization. And I just thought that was remarkable. But it also goes to show you again, just how important people's pets are to them, that they would stay and be potentially harmed to protect the interests of their pet. And so it was just great that this collaboration took place so people didn't have to make that choice, you know. But I can see you're a big collaborator, too. (laughs)
2: Well, and actually we are incredibly familiar with Red Rover and have worked with them. We actually made them just recently a multi-million dollar grant to empower and support their goal to get to 25% of domestic violence shelters being pet friendly because right now it's less than 10% and the statistics are very clear that people will not leave an abusive relationship because they are concerned and often rightly so that the abuser will take it out on their pet when they leave.
0: Wow. Wow, wow, wow. It's it's an amazing world we live in here, I tell you. But what is so heartwarming is that people are making these connections like you are and like Red Rover, like the American Red Cross, like Meals on Wheels, that we live in an ecosystem, right? And one thread, you pull on one thread, it affects another thread. And we can't forget that these threads are connected and that how we give and how we serve has to keep all of that in mind. And I'm so glad to see that's what you're doing. And um, it's it's um, really impressive. So tell me, what is your sense of, of endgame? I mean, we'll probably never have an endgame, but I always like to ask this question sometimes because as nonprofits, we're supposed to be working to Get ourselves out of business. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to have this big vision that if somehow we could achieve this vision, then we wouldn't need to be around anymore. It's usually not likely to happen, although it's a nice driving sort of uh, vision to have, right? But in your case, what would you say is the thing that you're trying to accomplish the most that gives you the most satisfaction?
2: I love this question, and one of the things that we find very clearly in the work that we do with animal welfare is that there is an inextricable link to poverty. People struggle to provide to their much-loved pets the way they would like to because they struggle to provide to themselves. And the reality in our country is that we have chosen – systems and structures, and we have values that allow for systemic poverty. And anyone in almost any sector of nonprofit or philanthropy is ultimately up against that issue. And that is an enormous issue that no one organization or institution can solve. You know, that is a multi-trillion dollar issue. And sometimes that can feel really daunting Because getting to that end game is going to require all of us, all of our institutions. So we do our little bit along the way and we take one thing at a time. And it's very gratifying to me to see that after 30 or 40 years of hard work in the actual shelter system for animals, we're in a much better place. We're not done, but we're in a much better place. And then to contextualize it as it didn't take three or four years to get there, it took 30 or 40 years to get there. So I'm really excited about the investments we are making in our access to veterinary care programs. And we are also clear that maybe in 10 years we'll be starting to make a dent and maybe in 30 or 40 years we'll be in a much better place. But we know we can do it and we know it's worth sticking with. And it's actually, to me, exciting in a way to be up against the problem that feels impossible. I mean, the gap to getting pets who don't get veterinary care, veterinary care is a $20 billion a year problem. And we're a big funder, but we're not that big. <laughs> but that is an exciting and worthwhile windmill to tilt at for me. Because if we don't, who will? And it's, it's got to get done.
0: And it's solvable. There's, there's, 20, there's $20 billion in the world to solve that, right? There's $20 billion out there somewhere. You may not have it all, but in collaboration with others, it's a problem that's solvable. And so that's, that's nice to think about too, right? That's nice to think about, right?
2: Well, it's also, you know, if we designed different care delivery systems, maybe it would be a $10 billion a year
0: program. <laughs> that's right. That's right.
2: So there are lots of ways to come at it. And that, that, that is, if I can make a pitch to your listeners, the need for really creative minds in nonprofit and philanthropy is bigger than ever. And so I think some people sometimes have the perception that if you're going to work in this field, it's because you're led by your heart. And of course, we want people in this field with heart. But there's also so much opportunity for changing systems and being creative and innovation. Like, yeah, the tech sector may be appealing, but come use that skill set here.
0: Let me ask you about privilege. You mentioned privilege, and that word certainly is popular these days. And recently, my wife and I had the pleasure of going to Paris, and we spent a few days in Paris. It was a good time. But there's nothing like America to me. I love our country and we certainly have our problems. But all you need to do is go someplace else for a while and you realize what a great country we have here. Again, under a lot of pressure, a lot of things going on that we'd like to see changed and we should work our tails off to make sure that those things are changed. But comparatively speaking, we have an enormous privilege of birth to be citizens of the United States, no matter how we got here, no matter how we got here. It's a huge privilege. Millions of people seek to attain this privilege that we have. And once we have that privilege, we also have the right to, to try to make work to make it better and make it what we want it to be in which in many places you don't have. So in a, in a sense, all of us are privileged who live in this country, comparatively speaking. There's some who have more privilege than others. Some who have disproportionate and unfair privilege, if you would, right. We want to work to figure that out. But when we think about, People who have less than us it immediately pulls at you to say, wow, why is that? And what can I do to maybe make it a little easier for someone else? It's the randomness of birth for many of us that landed us here and in the circumstances that we have, good or bad. And in this country. There's always something or in the case of what you're working on, there's something that is less fortunate than you are. And what makes our country work, I think, is that we care about that person, that thing that is less fortunate than we are, because if we can elevate them, then we elevate all of us. And it feels right to us to do that. It, it's always empowering, no matter what your circumstance, to give something back to other people. And I have to believe, Amy, that that's at work, especially in the case of the animal-human connection. It definitely has to be at play, right? We can look, no matter what our day is going on, imagine what the life is like in a case of an animal who has no power to make it in this world, but for the help of people. So I'm just curious, and that's a long statement more than there's a question, but I'm just curious to know how you put that power to work. Because to me, it is a power. How you put that power to work, both in your communications and in the grant making that you do and in the stories that you're able to tell about your achievements.
2: The way that that I personally and that we as an organization come at this is through the lens that all people are people and all people have needs and loves and fears and struggles. And the human-animal bond is something that can be universally appreciated. And it is, in a very polarized world, something that most people can agree on. And I think that's a bit of a superpower in our organization and our cause as if we can tell that story, It helps someone whose circumstances may be very different understand why someone else might be struggling, but they can relate to the love of the pet. And they can think about, well, even though those aren't my circumstances and maybe I don't understand how someone would end up in those circumstances, I can relate to the love of the pet and therefore I want to help. So it's, it's one of the things that we talk about a lot and that we think about a lot is this universal love and appreciation for what pets bring to our lives and the power that has to bring people from a whole variety of backgrounds and circumstances together and to help them maybe have just a little bit more compassion for each other, just a little bit more understanding or kindness. And then you can build on that.
0: Well, I have to ask you one last question. You guys are PetSmart Charities has been a long time BBB accredited charity. And (laughs) I always like to ask sometimes, what does it mean to you to be accredited? And why do you even go through the bother to go through the process?
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, it's huge for us. We take it very seriously, regardless of how big or small a donation someone is giving us. They are entrusting us with their hard earned dollars to go do good in the world. And we take our responsibility and accountability for that very seriously. And that accreditation is one of the ways that we can demonstrate that you can trust us and that we are going to do good things with your money and that we are a safe place to give your $1, $2, $5, $10. So it's something that we work hard at and that we pay attention to. And when a new layer of the accreditation comes out, we get right on it and we think, what do we need to do? Because we know that we are accountable to our donors. And we always want them to feel good about giving to us and that like we are doing good things with the money.
0: Well, wonderful. And that's what we like to hear. And you're one of many organizations that go through this process. It's, it can be quite arduous, but it's an important one for the reasons that you state. And we're grateful that you do it. Uh, Amy, I just want to just thank you for the work that you're doing. And thanks for all of those at PetSmart, the corporation and your organization, the charity, for being ingenuity. Maybe that's the word to think about that drives how you thought about organizing the foundation, the animals and connecting the people and creating ways to support their welfare. It's it's really brilliant how you put it all together and using the point of sale method to give people an opportunity to support these animals, I think is all wonderful. And I just want to congratulate you for the success and, and for what you're doing on behalf of people and their pet family members so that these animals have a fair shot in our, in our society and that people can feel good about what they're doing on behalf of not only their own pets, but other pets.
2: Thank you. We are honored to do the work. And we appreciate everybody who contributes to the cause that, that lets us help pets and help people.
0: And hey, let me just also say to those in the business world who haven't found their way to the, to the light yet, there's, there's a nonprofit organization over here that is waiting for you, that has your name on it. So if you're part of the great resignation and trying to figure out what your next move is, you just heard from someone who found her purpose in the nonprofit sector. So maybe there's an opportunity for you too. Well, let me just thank all of you for listening. Uh, This is the Heart of Giving podcast. I've been here with Amy Gilbreth, who is the president of PetSmart's Charities. Um, We've had a great conversation. And if this is the first time that you're listening to the podcast, know that there are many, many more episodes that you can find by going to any podcast platform. I hope you'll subscribe to our show, and if you want to contribute to the podcast, you can do so by going to give.org, G-I-V-E dot O-R-G, and you can make a donation there, and we will put that money to great use. Thank you for listening.
1: You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.org. Dot .podbean.com That's heartgiving.podbean.com Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.